This episode is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. So, I mean, doesn't get any cheaper than that. Second, there are creation tools that will allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. I'm editing this podcast from a Chromebook using the web, so it's pretty easy to do. Um, If I can do it, you can certainly do it. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more services. So you don't have to go to each individual podcast service and distribute it yourself. It automatically does that for you. So that's pretty awesome. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So, I mean, it's a pretty good way to make some money. Um, And then last but not least, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app for iOS or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started or download the app for iOS or Android today. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Cells and Circuits podcast. I am your host, Chibeze Anacor, and on this episode, we'll be talking about PS5 versus Xbox in part four of our ongoing series, and then we will also talk about Microsoft's acquisition of Bethesda, and then after that, we'll get into Amazon Luna and the start of the cloud gaming wars. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. In this segment, we're going to be talking about Xbox versus PS5, and this is going to be part four of our ongoing series, and it may end up being the final episode of this because the consoles are about to release soon. But I do have to tell you that we have a guest, and our guest for this segment is a friend and a huge supporter of the podcast, and his name is Noah Colos. So, Noah, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Chibeza. I'm real excited to be here and uh, appreciate you having me on. Thank you. I mean, pleasure is mine. So, tell us a bit about yourself before we get into the topic. Yeah, so I mean, I'm a huge nerd. That's kind of, you know, how I fell in love with the podcast. Been playing video games since probably before I could talk. So, you know, something I have a little bit of background knowledge in and you know, I I work in IT, so I'm just surrounded by technology all the time and uh, excited to talk to you about the consoles here. Awesome. And yeah, I mean, thank you for supporting the podcast. You've been 
very great help for me. You know, seeing your support has really motivated me to do better. So, you know, I really appreciate that. And what better way to thank you than to have you as a guest on on an episode. So um, try and keep it up to your golden standard. (laughs) (laughs) You you don't have to or I don't or I'm not, you know, like expecting anything. Just, you know, we're just trying to have a just a casual conversation. So let's get into it. So in the previous segment of PS5 versus Xbox, we talked about like the July showcase for Xbox, and we talked about, I believe, the PS5 showcase, if I'm not mistaken. But there's been a lot of new info that has come out since then. So we can definitely talk about that. I believe the previous episode that I talked about PS5 versus Xbox was in episode 12. So if you missed that, I'll refer you to that episode. But we're going to be talking about the big things that were revealed about both consoles, particularly the things that people waited the most time for, which were prices and release dates. And then we're going to get into launch game lineups and then next-gen upgrade strategies. So let's talk prices first. And before we get into prices, I should mention that ever since the last, ever since the last segment, the Xbox Series S was actually announced. So that is actually the cheapest of all of the next-gen consoles coming in at $299 US followed by the Xbox Series S or X, excuse me. Whew, this is going to be a tongue twister. <laughs> Xbox Series X at 499 and then you have the PlayStation 5 Digital Edition for $399 and the PS5 Regular Edition matching the Xbox Series X's price at $499. So what do you think of these price points for the different consoles? Yeah, well, well, first off, I was definitely a little surprised with the, the Series X. You know, I expected at least at launch for it to be just the, you know, the, the regular console and then the digital edition. It was right. definitely, yeah, it, it was definitely a surprise, but I mean, it makes sense because everyone was so worried that, you know, these are going to be seven, $800 consoles with the the tech specs that they were kind of talking about. So I guess that's the, my first impression is, is props to, to both Sony and Microsoft for using all their connections to keep prices, you know, about the same generation to generation. What did you think? Yeah. I mean, I think that because Microsoft is such a huge company, it's like a one and a half trillion dollar company. I think they're able to actually take the loss on the actual console to Mm -hmm. try and make it as price competitive as possible. And so, you know, I also thought it was going to be 
like $600, $700. But thankfully, Microsoft was able to get the Series X's price down to 500 And Sony was just waiting on Microsoft, I guess, to reveal the price. And they were able to match it. I didn't think they were going to be able to match that, but they did. So... He has a little, little game of chicken. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a huge game of chicken that went on for like months. I... And we're going to talk about how well that went later on. But I also want to talk about like the different approaches that each company is doing. So Microsoft seems to have cornered the market in like both segments like do we have for example do we have the most powerful console yes we have the series x do we have the most affordable console also yes the xbox series s and so like yeah whereas with the playstation you have you have like two consoles with pretty much identical hardware with the exception of the disk drive that's in the regular edition of the PS5 that's not in the digital edition. Um, so it costs 100 bucks less. So what do you think that, or do you think that it'll, or do you think that the lower price point of the Series S may draw people over to the Xbox side? Or do you think that, you know, people are just going to or just going to still go with PlayStation no matter what? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely think there's going to be, you know, if nothing else, a, a small portion of kind of the people that were on the fence. Not sure, you know, OK, well, what's what's going to be my my console this generation? I think, yeah. uh, you know, it's one of those things where some people have a team and they're just going to stick with that no matter what happens. And I think that's yeah. just inevitable. But yeah. I, I know I was thinking, okay, well, PlayStation is probably what I'm going to go. I had a PlayStation 4. I enjoyed a lot of the Sony exclusives. But seeing that 299 price point definitely has me uh, reconsidering if I need the, the latest and greatest of everything. You know, if, oh, well. You know, maybe right. I'll just uh, pick that up and save a little bit of money. <laughs> right. And I think that because the pandemic happened this in this crapshoot of a year, we are or people are definitely more price conscious. So I think having the yeah. most affordable console will definitely work in Xbox's favor. But at right. the same time, you know, just having the having the amount of great games that PlayStation has also yeah. works to its advantage. And um, we'll definitely talk about launch game lineups later on. Yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely going to be, I, I feel like it's going to be two things. You know, one, like I was kind of discussing before, where just like people in the whole Apple versus Android thing, you, you look right. at Apple and honestly, you know, a lot of the stuff is either identical or, or it's not even as uh, advanced as some of the Android phones, but they're $400 more and people will still buy them. So I think people know what they want and, you know, we'll, we'll see how, you know, the pandemic plays into that. But, you know, there definitely will be some people who are like, oh, nope, I'm Sony die hard. And that's, that's the only way for me, but yeah, we definitely have some good games. So we'll see. 
<laughs> yeah. The, the tribalist mindset of yeah. gamers. Something that I've definitely ranted about. Um, yeah, um, yeah. If you didn't listen to episode 14, depending on who you are, you may want to go listen to that. <laughs> or, you know, you may also be offended by it. And, you know, sorry, but also kind of not sorry. But anyway, and we also have the uh, release dates of both consoles. So Xbox Series S and X will be releasing on November 10th. And then PS5 will be releasing on November 12th here in the U.S. and some other regions, whereas some... Whereas, like, all of the rest of the world would get it on the 19th, I believe, uh, or if I remember correctly. And so, with those release dates in mind, let's get into the launch game lineups. So, first up, uh, we have the PS5's launch game lineup, which will include Demon Souls, Spider-Man, Miles Morales... Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Destruction All-Stars, Devil May Cry 5 Special Edition, Astro's Playroom, Fortnite, of course, Godfall, Observer System Redo, and Sackboy A Big Adventure. So what are your thoughts on the PS5's launch games? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm pretty excited for... Spider-Man Miles Morales. I mean, the you know the last Spider-Man that came out for PlayStation Four was one of my favorite games. So it's it's just always fun to have a Spider-Man game, and you know it'll it'll be interesting to see it from you know kind of a, a different Spider-Man's point of view with it being Miles Morales. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there, uh, go ahead. Or I was going to say, I think also the success of. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse may have played a role in, you know, Insomniac wanting to go in the direction of Miles Morales and telling the Spider-Man story from his side. So, which, you know, is a testament to that movie, which was an awesome movie. If you haven't seen it, Please go watch it, or please watch it. I think it's on Netflix. So yeah, yeah, yeah I, I just rewatched it on Netflix, and it was one of those movies that I went into the theaters and I was like, ah, we'll see, cartoon Spider-Man. I don't know, but they just it ended up blowing me away. It was like one of my favorite yeah. Spider-Man movies. It was so good. Yeah, me too. I have the I have the Blu-ray of that movie. Okay. I have the, yeah, the 4K Blu-ray, because that was one of those where I'm like, okay, like this one, or it's that one and Black Panther. Those are the only two 4K Blu-rays that I have, because, like, I just, I value those movies so highly. And, I mean, Akira 4K is about to be my third one. Yes, there Um, you go. But back to the games. So, yeah, Spider-Man Miles Morales is speaking to me here for the reasons that I just mentioned. I enjoy, or the reasons that you just mentioned. And, like, I enjoy the 2018 Spider-Man. And Mm -hmm. so I'm interested in seeing where Insomniac takes Miles Morales' story. 
especially now that they're officially in the PlayStation family since Sony bought them, I think, last year or so. Mm-hmm. So it'll be good to see them actually harnessing uh, the power of the PS5, even though I'm going to get it on PS4 because yeah. it also has a version or that game is also launching on ps4 at the same time so that's what i'm gonna do too i I, one i don't know if i'll even be lucky enough to get uh, a ps5 and and two i don't know these launch titles look pretty good but i'm i usually wait until the the mid-cycle refresh or whatever you want to call it comes out when the ps5 slim or pro or whatever (laughs) they end up yeah yeah for me i've for the past for the past like 10 months i've been or i've been trying out well not trying out but i've been i'm doing a lot of my gaming via cloud gaming so so the platform that i usually game on is google stadia so like i've or i'll probably i'll probably stick to that though i'll be getting some of the games if they come on uh, current gen consoles, I'll just be getting those games on there. But once the true next gen games come out, that'll only be available on next gen. Once those come out, then I may consider getting a uh, next gen console. So that's or that's where I'm at with that. Right. So. Let's get into the Xbox ones, or the launch titles. So we have, for Xbox, we have Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Bright Memory, Dirt 5, Devil May Cry 5, and then FIFA 21, Fortnite, of course, Gears 5, and then Gears Tactics, which, yeah, is previously a PC-exclusive but now is coming to console on Xbox. And then Marvel's Avengers, which was surprising to me because that's on current-gen consoles now. And then NBA 2K21, Observer System Redo, RPG Time, The Legend of Right, Samurai Spirits, Tetris Effect, Connected, <laughs> The Falconeer, Watch Dogs Legion, and Yakuza Like a Dragon. So it's or Xbox has a bit more um, on the launch lineup, even though they did lose the big title. And that's, of course, Halo Infinite that got delayed to next year. We don't know when next year. We just know it's going to be next year. So I know someone at Microsoft was so mad when they had to make that announcement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like, man, we're going to disappoint the fans yeah, again. Yeah. But yeah. Um, <laughs> As long as it, the actual game doesn't, it'll, it'll all will be forgiven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But because Halo has been one of the like system sellers for Xbox for mm-hmm. a very long time. So it makes sense that Microsoft would continue to focus on it but it is nice to see that they're that they at least have some sort of a good launch lineup of games let's see i don't think 
any particularly stick out to me as a, ooh, I want to try that. But, and plus, I think most of these will be on current gen consoles yeah. anyway. So, yeah. There was I, one I saw. It was, uh, it was the medium. I don't know if you saw that one, but. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that one looked like it might be interesting. I don't know if it's just going to be a gimmick with the whole dual reality gameplay thing where it's, you know, I guess it's side by side. But I at least want to see if, if it gets good reviews and stuff because uh, I was like, well, hey, if, if nothing else, it's it's something different than I've ever seen. So, Right. And I think horror games are going to be like, I think people are really going to be a bit more interested in medium, which I'm surprised we haven't really gotten much more news about, especially, you know, going into, we're about to go into October, which is the spooky month. So it's like, (laughs) so like, I'm, I'm very surprised that we haven't gotten any more information on medium yet, but people really seem to enjoy horror games. So, you know, I mean, I'm, or, I'm not one of them, but like I like I try and, you know, dabble here and there, but you know, I I or sometimes I just or if I play it like late at night, I'm just going to get scared. <laughs> and that's yeah. probably very embarrassing to admit, but <laughs> Nah, man, I I'm right there with you. I remember playing the the original BioShock and you know, I was I was just I was like 10 or 11 when that came out, I guess, and uh playing with the lights off and every couple of seconds I'm looking behind my shoulder like what the hell was that <laughs> something just <laughs> ran by me but uh, yeah I, I gotta be playing I gotta play horror games for an audience you know I, if I'm playing by myself I'll I'll get in my own head and swear I hear stuff that wasn't even there <laughs> yeah you see like you could probably I could see you playing like Dead by Daylight which is actually launching I think this Thursday on Google Stadia with uh, oh, okay. Crowd Choice, um, which is a Google Stadia feature that allows you to control or that allows a streamer's audience to control which side <laughs> that they're going to be playing on. So, oh, I, Oh man, my my phone just um went crazy um because I have a pixel. But uh, <laughs> I triggered I triggered the assistant. So anyway. But yeah, I could see you I could see you doing that as a way to like, you know, engage an audience. And I'm sure Dead by Daylight will probably come to uh next gen consoles as well considering it's a multi-platform game. Though I don't know if it'll have, or I don't know if the next-gen consoles will have, like, the crowd choice feature that Google Stadia does because it's in the cloud. Probably not. I don't see how that would be possible, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I want to go back to the PS5 one because, or the launch game lineup, on PS5 includes Demon Souls, and that I think is a game that's only going to be on the PS5, if I'm not mistaken. And that one 
since it's a first-party game and it's a next-gen game. The price is also increasing on that, and it's going to be $70 for the for that game. So, like, and Demon's Souls isn't the only game that's going to be having that price point. It seems that right. next-gen prices across the board are going to be $10 more than they are right now. So, like, what are your thoughts, like, the price increase? I mean, it's one of those things that it sucks. I mean, it makes sense from a, a business perspective. It's like, oh, you know, it's the dollar's not worth what it used to be. We're going to charge more. It's next-gen graphics, all that stuff. But right. it, it definitely, you know, you, you feel like, like someone's doing you dirty. Because, you know, if you look at, like, going from even Xbox 360 to Xbox One X and PlayStation 3 to PlayStation yep. 4, there wasn't that price increase. I mean, yep. the the only thing you saw is I, I feel like there was a huge increase in the amount of, you know, $300 collector's edition for games, but the actual base games stayed at $60. So it, it does feel kind of like a low blow, but it's one of those things where it's like, well... There's nothing I can really do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Too many people are still going to pay the $70 to, for it, for them to make a difference. So, you know, what, what can you really yeah. do? Yeah. Capitalism. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole other topic. <laughs> uh, that's a whole other topic for a different <laughs> podcast. Not yeah. this one. Yeah, um, the, the politics episode going on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. So... Let's see. But yeah, I mean, which now, which console do you think has a better launch game lineup? I'm trying to think here. I'm just I'm pulling up a list to see. I mean, I guess I was I was most interested in some of the the games that Xbox was showing. Like I mentioned, the mm -hmm. medium uh, call of the sea look like it might be something oh, unique oh, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, ever wild that's yeah. going to be awesome once or i hope that's going to be awesome yeah it comes out i, I shouldn't say do. it's going to be awesome <laughs> i should say i hope it's going to be awesome um, and i hope it's going to be a return to form from rare because i think they're the studio that's making that so because yeah rare has been on a bit of a slump but They've started to come back up with things like Sea of Thieves and Battletoads that recently yeah. <laughs> came out, which I like and I like playing. And even my girlfriend likes playing and she doesn't even like Xbox like that. But yeah, she saw yeah. me playing Battletoads and wanted to jump in. And so, and so, yeah, we beat that game. But I <laughs> hope, all right, go ahead. And I was going to say, that's always a good sign when you, when, uh, you even get the, the girlfriend interested enough to beat a game with you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we beat the game in like four hours. So oh, it's, not wow. a, it's not a huge time commitment. Right, um, right. But I mean, if you're playing single player, it might be. But uh, yeah, it's rare. I definitely am interested in Everwild. And I also hope to see more games from Rare. Banjo Kazooie, please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I just I really want a 
Banjo-Kazooie game. Like, Microsoft, like, <laughs> like that's all I want is a Banjo-Kazooie <laughs> game. Like, charge we didn't me get... $80 for it. I just exactly. Like, charge me, like, $70, $80 for it. <laughs> I will pay it. I will get a Series X just to get that game. Uh, <laughs> but in all seriousness, yeah, I mean, like, even some games are going to be coming outside of the launch window. Like you mentioned, the medium, or for the Xbox side, we have the medium, we have Everwild, we have Call of the Sea. But then on the PlayStation side, I don't know um, when Horizon Forbidden West is coming out. So I think it's going to be sometime in 2021, but but I'm excited for that. Yeah. And then I can't remember like some of the other games that PlayStation showed off in their recent showcase. Cause all I was, all I cared about was like, okay, what's the price going to be? <laughs> right, <laughs> like, yeah. Because yeah. we had already known what the Xbox price was, so like, that was all I was waiting for. Yeah. But, and that's the thing. I feel like you know, even Horizon Forbidden West, like, that's also coming to PlayStation Four. So I just feel like there's there's not a whole lot of a cent incentive, you know, unless you know you, you really need the the next generation everything you know right, right away to make that jump yeah i i completely agree with that like there's not really much to really draw you in unless you really want to uh get into demon souls like because i think that's going to be or godfall because that's also i think a ps5 exclusive oh I, yeah yeah i forgot about godfall yeah, so unless you're getting one of those two games, or both, right. um, <laughs> then like there's not really much of an incentive to uh, get a PS5. You could stick with a PS4 and be all right for like a year or two. Um, yeah. Well, that's like, I, I was excited too for Deathloop. But uh, that's going to be coming out on, on PC as well. So it's not even a true PS5 exclusive. True. And it's going to be, well, well, not only PS5 exclusive, but also like it'll be coming on Xbox at some point because Microsoft bought out Bethesda. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> so, a big one. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, it, it'll depend on like what microsoft wants to do with that i know they'll definitely put it on game pass whether for console pc or both so like if you can wait until that timed exclusivity period is over then you know like and you're in the xbox camp you know just wait on that yeah um, that'll probably be like 2022 or something like that yeah um, i mean uh, that that for me has been the biggest surprise out of all of this. I remember, you know, going on Reddit and seeing, you know, Microsoft buys Bethesda Studios. I said, "What in the world?" And they <laughs> said, "All right, you know, here's here's my my ace up my sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this will entice you." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I think that it's going to be a very interesting console generation for this gen because Sony has, you know, their, you know, really great exclusives that they're going to continue to push. But my, it seems that Microsoft is really investing in in getting some exclusives for themselves as well. But or not only um, just getting exclusives, but also investing in technologies like cloud gaming for, or particularly Xbox Game Pass, which is something that PS5 or PlayStation still has yet to really compete with. I know they have PS Now, but yeah, is that real? the same no i don't think so i i don't i don't think so but or i should also mention like the the next gen upgrade strategies so so with playstation you had the whole spider-man miles morales fiasco where like if you have a current copy of spider-man ps4 like your save won't transfer over to the uh, remastered version on the PS5 if you get that console. So, like, you know, that <laughs> I can imagine people who are getting the ultimate edition of Spider Man Miles Morales, which includes the remastered version of Spider Man PS4. They're probably mad. Um, (laughs) And I I would be too if I were getting a PS5 at launch and getting that game on PS5, but I am not. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, that's understandable. But I also... Well, no. No, I I, I can't find a way to justify that. Like, that's just so anti-consumer. I know. Yeah. (laughs) And when you compare that to what xbox is doing with smart delivery where if you get a game on say xbox one right now and then you later decide to get a series x and then you pop your xbox one game disc into there it'll automatically upgrade to the series x version if there's a series x version available so like that's really awesome that Xbox is doing that so you don't have to buy the same game twice that you have to do with uh Spider-Man Miles or Spider-Man on PlayStation. So yeah. like what are your thoughts on both consoles next gen upgrade strategies? Yeah, so I feel like that's kind of the one of the bigger takeaways for this next generation. It's they're, they're definitely testing a lot of pricing models. They're like, okay, how successful can we be? How much can we try to squeeze from the consumers <laughs> and it yeah. still work? So, you know, that that's a little, I guess, frightening from a consumer perspective. But, you know, I, I definitely appreciate Xbox's delivery a lot more because... You know, anytime I don't have to buy two copies of the same game, it's it's great. It's, you know, I, I feel like if I recall correctly, that was like a big problem with uh, Mass Effect save files and like 
two generations ago now, I guess, where, you know, with Mass Effect, the save files directly impacted, you know, the next game. And, and there was all these issues of with people buying new consoles that couldn't transfer things over. So you would have think uh, yep. Sony would have learned something from that whole fiasco. But I mean, hey, if they can if they can pry, you know, a few hundred thousand copies from people to get it on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, and, you know, they, they just might get away with it. Yeah, it, it really is unfortunate that Sony is going this route of still being the less consumer friendly option, because I think that's something that that Xbox has really been trying to that's re- or that Xbox has really been trying to appeal consumers with like with backwards compatibility like at the beginning of the current generation um with the Xbox 1 and the PS4 or I should say not at the beginning but like towards the middle of the of the current generation Xbox had introduced backwards compatibility with Uh, Xbox 360 games, and then later on they did the original Xbox games, or some of the original Xbox games, and, you know, people who were on the PlayStation side and were like, oh, well, why would I even need backwards compatibility? And now um, going into the PS5, where... Backwards compatibility is an area that Sony is severely lagging in compared to Microsoft. Like, you know, a lot of people are getting much harder on Sony for, you know, not being as backwards compatible as Microsoft's. Because I think for the Xbox, the Series X and S will both play Xbox One games, of course, and then 360 all the way back to the original Xbox. Then for the PS5, the PS5 is confirmed to have support for, quote-unquote, 99% of PS4 games and nothing beyond that. Yeah, which like, so, what does that mean? Ninety nine percent, right? It's, like, what's like, that one percent? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, the the one percent is what we're adding to to PS now, and you'll have to pay, you know, seven ninety nine a month to uh, to play or you know whatever. I don't even remember what the the price is, but I feel like that's been Sony's take on backwards compatibility. Oh, we have PlayStation hits that you can pay to stream, even if you already own copies of the discs (laughs) right and like that's something that i think sony is really struggling with trying to compete with xbox on especially their attempt to address that was with the playstation plus collection which has like a collection of the greatest hits Mm. um on ps4 that you'll be able to play on PS5, you know, once that console launches. So you'll at least have something to play. Right. Because, you know, the lo- the launch lineup, you know, just isn't really that big for, for PlayStation. But, you know, that's not really a problem on Xbox, especially if you have the discs for all of those games and you get the Series X, you just pop it in 
boom, you're done. Like, <laughs> are you more of a you more of a disc guy, or are you buy digital uh, copies? I'm definitely more of a disc guy, gotcha. though. Like, or I guess I could say I'm a bit of both because I do, or like I said earlier, I do have like a Google Stadia membership, and I right. also have a Xbox Game Pass Ultimate membership where i've downloaded games to my xbox digitally that you know i haven't bought physically even though gotcha. physical versions exist yeah. but and i oh yeah so i get my games both digitally and physically but i have too many physical games to to turn back on physical games so gotcha <laughs> if i were so if i were shopping around for consoles i would definitely get both the xbox and the playstation with the disc drive <laughs> like there's yeah. just no turning back yeah, yeah. I, I definitely know some people with some some massive collections you know especially if you know uh just even the last generation of the games but i i also wonder like how many people the deciding factor of of going with a disc drive versus not is, oh hey, I I watch a lot of Blu-ray or DVDs, you know, like oh, I, I wonder yeah. how many people still care or everyone's just on Netflix and things like that now. I don't know. Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah, because if you don't have a if you don't have a single Blu-ray to your name, then or a DVD to your name, then yeah, I mean. The digital versions could, you know, be very attractive. And if you haven't bought a game physically at all either, then yeah, the digital versions could be very attractive, especially on the Xbox side where the Series S is cheaper at mm. two ninety nine. So that's something I didn't think about. So I'm glad you brought that point up. Yeah, it was just something yeah. I just thought of because I was like, oh yeah, I wonder how many people still you know, use uh, Blu-ray or have a lot of, or like their console is their Blu-ray player, you know? Right. Yeah. For me, that's definitely where I'm at. I have an Xbox One X and a PS4 Pro. Either one of those I could use as a Blu-ray player with the exception of the two 4K Blu-rays that I had mentioned earlier on because the PS4 Pro doesn't have a 4K Blu-ray drive. I think the Blu-ray drive is only supporting up to 1080p. So so I have to use my Xbox One for that. But that is a problem that won't exist on, on the upcoming generation because both consoles have 4K Blu-ray drives. So... No matter which Blu-ray you get, whether it's a regular 1080p Blu-ray or 4K Blu-ray, you'll be able to play it on either console, you know, as long as it has a disk drive. Yeah. But, yeah. And then by the by the end of this generation, I'll be like, oh, man, the, the Series X and PlayStation 5 don't have Blu-ray 8K support. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be like some sort of mid-gen refresh that adds yeah. that. Though I worry on the PlayStation side because they didn't, or for the PS4 Pro, like I said, they didn't add a 4K Blu-ray 
uh, player, even though Sony makes 4K Blu-ray players. So (laughs) it's like, how do you get... How do you get beaten by Microsoft at yeah. your own game? Like, yeah, exactly. Makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I wonder if it just is simple as, oh, we don't think too many people are, are even using these as a as a Blu-ray player. Because, I mean, I did just look it up, and on Amazon, you can get a 4K Blu-ray player for, like, 60 bucks. So maybe it's not as much of a deciding factor as I thought it might be. <laughs> yeah. So I think if... If anything, I mean, it would, or I think it would like save people from, you know, not having to buy two devices. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And it'll also like the, or depending on how often you watch Blu-rays, you know, save like on an electric bill or something like that. I don't know. Less controllers. I guess there, there's a couple of things, you know, (laughs) yeah, there are a couple of things. There are a couple of benefits, like less remotes to deal with and yeah. you know, things like that. But it'll be, I think this upcoming console generation is going to be an interesting one, especially with like, you know, I think it's going to test how long physical media is really going to last. Cause like, I think once the game consoles go all digital or even to the cloud or like where like the cloud ones are just the only options left, like I think that'll probably just spell like the end of a physical media. Um, yeah, GameStop is sweating right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Like, cause with GameStop, like you got to wonder like especially with the pandemic but even before then like you have people who buy their or people buy their games on Amazon yeah or if they're physical yeah or if not they'll just go digital yeah and get it off the PlayStation store Xbox store e-shop for nintendo and then like you know what customers are left yeah <laughs> after yeah. after that <laughs> like yeah you know, so yeah it'll, it'll uh, definitely be interesting to see how all that plays out you know this is a little off topic but i did see you know right before all this pandemic stuff was starting gamestop mm-hmm. was testing having kind of like pc cafes and some of their bigger stores and mm-hmm. but i'm like even at that point you know most of the GameStops I know are in a strip mall, and you could maybe fit three computers in the back of the store. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and I think also like you know the downsizing and like collapse of malls may also impact GameStop as well. So yeah, but I think. I think this is going to be a really interesting console generation. So, like, which or which console do you think will sell more units, or which ecosystem will sell more units, like Xbox or PlayStation? I think right now I'm going to go with Xbox, and that's just because of the the Series S. I think it'll win over enough people with the with having the lowest price tag that they'll hold at least a little bit of the market share. 
Yeah, I, let's see, I, or as for me, I think that it's kind of, it's kind of tough. I mean, like both consoles sold out, so it's um, very hard to tell, but I think, I think that initially PlayStation may sell more units, but over time, like, Especially if Sony continues with the strategies like they did with Spider-Man Miles Morales, where you couldn't upgrade your Spider-Man PS4 game to the remastered version on PS5. I think if they continue practices like that, they may um, end up or they may end up losing ground to Xbox later on in the generation. Because I think Microsoft uh, really learned from the Xbox One's launch and Phil Spencer, you know, props to him and the Xbox team. Like they've really been course correcting through all these years uh, leading up to the upcoming console generation and, you know, trying to be more consumer friendly. So I think... I think initially, you know, because of the hype, PlayStation yeah. is probably going to sell more units. But, you know, if Sony continues doing like these anti-consumer practices, I think they may end up losing some ground to Xbox later yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, no, we'll, we'll definitely have to see. It'll, it'll be interesting. I mean, the the other thing, I guess, to think about is, well, PlayStation 4 sold significantly more units than the xbox and at the end of the day you know if you're deciding between one or the other and all your buddies are playing on playstation and just with how popular multiplayer games are i think that might be another deciding factor so we'll just have to see yeah i do agree with that though i will say like if your friends play like a lot of multi-platform titles then you know it wouldn't really matter all as much but if they're playing like a lot of exclusive games yeah uh, then yeah it's um it's definitely or then it'll definitely matter which one that you get if you want to uh play with your friends but like i feel like a lot of games now have incentive to have cross play um, yeah. enabled which is a good thing that's been happening in recent years. So, and with all of these platforms coming out, like, you know, the new gen consoles, mm. and then you also have the cloud co- or cloud gaming platforms like, you know, Google Stadia, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, and the recently announced Amazon Luna. Like, I think all of these platforms coming out like right around the same time yeah. like really entice developers to integrate crossplay into their games so yeah it'll be a very interesting or like the next few years of games i'm really excited for i can't wait yeah and i guess you know that's another thing the whole cross platform that's something sony's been kind of lagging behind in because I, yep. you know, I know that they're always, oh, no, these these are our games. We don't want to 
you know, inter intermingle or whatever you want to call it yeah. with the cross platform stuff. So either way, I think uh, we're we're have a a lot of good games ahead, like you said, and you know, as you know, the cloud platforms are exciting. So it's it's uh, definitely not a dull time to be a gamer right now. Is definitely not. And just like one last thing before we close out. So with the PlayStation uh, Studios and Xbox Game Studios, like both platforms are going to have a lot of like exclusive games. I know with the Microsoft acquisition of Bethesda, there's been like a lot of talk about which um, games will be exclusive to Xbox or which ones they'll release on other platforms on a quote-unquote case-by-case basis <laughs> so like so I want so I want to know based on like all of the trailers that you've seen of games coming in the future which one or which one or which which platform do you think has the more compelling future titles? Yeah, that that's tough cuz I think for me I primarily play on my computer. So right. You know, I, I'm very interested in a lot of what the the Xbox is is going to offer and as future launch titles. But a lot of those I can play through my PC. So, right. uh, you know, it's like, hmm, well, I don't know how many other people fall in that same boat. Right. I think, you know, traditionally just the the titles that Sony has fall more in line with what I like to play. So off the bat, I, I'd say Sony just because they have, you know, even like probably one of the things I'm most excited for is the new Horizon game. So yeah. I, I think that that'll probably be a lot of fun if it's anything like the the first one. And Spider-Man alone kind of wins me over to say, Sony, what about you? Yeah, <laughs> I would say, no, yeah, I'd say Sony, mainly because Sony is more focused on like single player experiences where mm. I think with Xbox, they're more focused on games that you can play with friends which you know is not or neither approach is bad like i yeah. think you know there are some good things about each of them but like you said sony definitely does have the exclusive titles that appeal to me more and also like you said particularly spider-man miles morales like if that game didn't have a PS4 version launching on it, I would yeah, be true. looking into getting a <laughs> PS5 just to play that game. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, honestly, 2018 Spider-Man is why I ended up buying my PS4. There's <laughs> 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 just something about swinging around in a video game as Spider-Man that just gets me going. <laughs> I mean, like, you know... Just that and the fact that it's done by Insomniac, which yep, yep. is a great game studio that's also done Sunset Overdrive for Xbox. I think that was yeah. an exclusive on Xbox yeah, for console. True. So, like, 
they've they've done like you know a lot of pretty incredible games so you know props to insomniac and i think that was probably or spider-man ps4 was probably the deciding factor on like whether sony wanted to uh buy insomniac or not so yeah yeah that's true plus the the prospect of a of a second uh ghost of tsushima game has me you know uh, leaning towards playstation 2 <laughs> oh god oh man i still need to finish ghost of tsushima yeah i i still need to finish that though i am enjoying what i'm playing so far so i'm wondering if games like that will or if you insert your ps4 disc into the ps5 whether it'll you know have like increased resolution upgrades Mm. or like frame rate upgrades like you know up to like 120 frames a second or something like that So that'll be curious to see people who actually do get the consoles test. But um, yeah, I'm really, or I'm looking forward to this next console generation. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it's a great time to be a gamer. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this segment Thank you, Noah, for joining me on this episode and, you know, just talking PS5 versus Xbox. This is a nice swan song to this series. So I think I can retire it, you know, knowing that I, knowing that it was a pretty good series, but yeah, absolutely. Thanks Um, again for having me. You know, it was was fun. uh, Of course. And you know, this may or this will probably not be the last time that I have you on. I definitely want to have you on future episodes. So so be on the lookout for that. But yeah, so before we close out, do you have anything to say to our listeners? I, I guess it's something you've already talked on, but don't let any one person decide for you either way just go with go with whatever you think is uh is your console of choice thank you and that's a that's a wonderful message to close out on thank you once again noah i really appreciate it you've been a really great supporter of the show and I don't know if you want to share where people can find you on the internet or not, but if you do, you can definitely share that. If you don't, that's fine too. Yeah, I don't really do much on the internet, so uh, I don't really have anything to share, but I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> oh, oh no, that's perfectly fine. And, you know, we or will always be or you can or you can definitely reach out and i will definitely like or i would love to have you whatever episode that you want to be on so like you know like you're a friend to the podcast is oh well, I, I appreciate it I'm like, glad uh glad i did okay enough you want me back so i'll, I'll definitely be in touch <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, you did more than okay. You did awesome. But yeah, that's going to do it for this segment. If you want to support the show, you can shop our merch. Have the link to that in the show notes. Or you can also support us on Coffee. I will also have a link to that in the show notes. And yeah, that's going to do it. And thank you for listening. Up next, we'll be talking about Microsoft's acquisition of Bethesda. And then after that, we'll get into Amazon Luna and the start of the cloud gaming wars. The Cells and Circuits podcast will return in a moment. Hey, Cells and Circuits listeners. Want to support the show without having to buy any merch? Well, you can do that by buying us a coffee. All it takes is just one U.S. dollar to help support the show. So click the link in the show notes or go to ko-fi.com slash cells and circuits to help make the cells and circuits podcast a better show for you. Welcome back. And now it's time to start talking about Microsoft's acquisition of Bethesda. So last week, Microsoft announced that they were buying ZeniMax Media, the parent company of Bethesda Softworks, for $7.5 billion. And that was a huge story that shook the entire gaming industry. And I think it's going to start off a trend. So let's talk about this acquisition and what it could mean for the future of Xbox and what it could also mean for the future of gaming. So let's start off with what Microsoft got for that seven and a half billion dollar price. So they bought all the companies under ZeniMax Media. So those consist of Alpha Dog Games, Arcane Studios, Bethesda Softworks, id Software, Machine Games, Roundhouse Studios, Tango Gameworks and ZeniMax Online Studios. So now the number of studios Microsoft owns is now 23. And so that's quite a lot of studios under one company's belt. So I think Microsoft now has enough studios, in my personal opinion. At least they have enough Western studios. But if they expanded more into Japan, then that's an area where I could see Microsoft going next. But anyway, what does this mean for the future of Xbox? So I I think the first thing is that we can pretty much put the Xbox has no games argument to rest because with this acquisition... Microsoft now owns the Elder Scrolls franchise, Doom, Prey, The Evil Within, Fallout, and so many others that are under ZeniMax Media. So the notion that Xbox has no games can officially be put to bed, or like no one can say that anymore. (laughs) But also, it means that if you want to play a Western RPG, Xbox is pretty much 
the place to go for that because like I said with the franchises that I just mentioned earlier those are almost all if not all RPGs made by western companies so yeah if you want to play western RPGs Xbox is the place to go for that and this also means for Xbox Game Pass It means that more and more titles will be coming to Xbox Game Pass that are part of the ZeniMax family. So Doom Eternal is coming out today as I'm recording this, October 1st. So that's just going to be the first of many Bethesda and ZeniMax titles that will be coming to Game Pass. And the important thing for the ZeniMax titles come into Game Pass is that those titles most likely will not rotate because Xbox Game Pass's business model is you get a bunch of rotating games except for the ones that Microsoft either owns or has an exclusive license to. And so now that Microsoft owns the ZeniMax franchises, now those titles can be added to Game Pass without ever having to worry about whether they'll rotate out in a few months or not. So I think that's a pretty major point for Game Pass that just solidifies Game Pass's value. So if you ever doubted Game Pass's value, now this acquisition significantly drove up the value of Game Pass. So kudos to Microsoft. This is a huge power move for them, especially because they are playing in two spaces. They're playing in the physical console space against Sony and Nintendo, but they're also playing in the cloud gaming space thanks to Game Pass Ultimate against Google Stadia and the recently announced Amazon Luna, which we'll be talking about in the next segment. So stay tuned for that. But I think this acquisition was a really important one for Microsoft to make because Bethesda was also working on their own engine for cloud gaming and some other cloud gaming software that I don't know the specifics of, but if that means that Microsoft has the exclusive license to that software, that could be a game changer for Microsoft and put it well ahead of its competitors in the cloud space. So kudos to Microsoft. This was a power move, but I think the big question is, Will ZeniMax's titles be Xbox exclusive in the future? And Microsoft has come out and said that they'll evaluate which ones will be exclusive to Xbox on a case-by-case basis. So, I mean, we all know that they're coming to Game Pass, but since Microsoft has $7.5 billion to recoup, I mean, it would not be in their best interest to keep everything exclusive to Xbox. 
because they'd be losing out on a lot of sales and a lot of money that could be going their way. So it would make more sense to put some of those ZeniMax titles on PlayStation or on Google Stadia just so that more and more people can play them. And it also gives Microsoft a value play where you could pay $15 to get it on Game Pass and play it on Xbox or you can pay 60 or $70 to play it on PlayStation or Google Stadia or what have you. So I think that it definitely raises the value of Game Pass, but I don't think that Microsoft will make every single title exclusive to Xbox. I think for titles that just make a lot of sense for it to be exclusive to Xbox, like they'll probably look at sales figures for previous entries in the franchise when they're looking to determine whether or not to make it exclusive. And if they determine it's not worth it to put it on other platforms, they'll just put it on Xbox and PC and call it a day. But if it has sold well on PlayStation or other platforms, then they'll leave a multi-platform because studios that were acquired by Microsoft have still honored multi-platform releases such as Mojang, the studio behind Minecraft. Minecraft has a PlayStation 4 version. It has a Nintendo Switch version. I don't know if Microsoft will make a Google Stadia version of Minecraft. Maybe we will see with that, but I hope that comes to the platform. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see if Microsoft actually does that. But regardless, Minecraft has been multi-platform. And then also games that were previously Microsoft exclusive, like Cuphead, that came to the Nintendo Switch, which Microsoft has a partnership with Nintendo, but also Cuphead recently came to the PS4, so it's not entirely without precedent that Microsoft would keep the ZeniMax titles multi-platform, because they've done it before. And Microsoft also said that they'll honor existing contracts to keep timed exclusive games like uh, Deathloop, which is going to be a PS5 timed exclusive, as well as Ghostwire Tokyo, which will also be a timed PS5 exclusive. So Microsoft doesn't seem to be as worried about exclusives. I would imagine if Sony had acquired Bethesda instead, or ZeniMax instead, they would keep as much of those titles on PlayStation as possible and shut all of the competitors out. But yeah, Microsoft seems to be more of an open kind of company. They seem to be pivoting towards that in recent years. Not just the Xbox division, but other parts of Microsoft as well. So it makes sense that Xbox would follow suit. But yeah. And what does this mean for the future of the gaming industry 
in general, well, I think that we'll definitely start to see a lot more acquisitions and consolidation as we've seen with the entertainment industry, with Disney buying Fox and Viacom and CBS re-merging and AT&T acquiring Time Warner and Comcast and NBC Universal. So I think we'll um, see more and more of that. But instead of it being the entertainment giants, it'll be the gaming giants. So I think we'll see Microsoft and Sony um, acquiring more studios. And Microsoft already said that they'll acquire more studios. So that's pretty much confirmed. Now we just don't know which studios because it could be anybody at this point. But we could see Microsoft and Sony, but not only them, even cloud gaming contenders like Google and Amazon, they could also be acquiring studios for Google Stadia and Luna respectively. So it's going to be a pretty interesting few years in gaming. But let me know what you think of the Microsoft acquisition of Bethesda and Zenimax Media. Do you think that this will change the landscape of gaming? Do you think that Microsoft will keep a lot of uh, Zenimax titles exclusive to Xbox? Or do you think that they'll share with other platforms? Let me know on social media or on Discord. We can continue the conversation there. But that'll do it for this topic. Up next, we'll get into Amazon Luna and the start of the cloud gaming wars. The Cells and Circuits podcast will be back after this. Are you a small business looking for a financial platform to do business on? Check out Payment, the first black-owned financial platform where you can do things like sending invoices, accepting payments, and more features will be added in the future. If you watch Trigger Warning with Killer Mike on Netflix, you know that money stays within the black community for an average of six hours compared to the days and sometimes weeks that other communities get. So if you want to bring or keep money in the black community, join Payment, that's P-E-Y-M-Y-N-T, at the affiliate link in the show notes today. Hey, Cells and Circuits listeners, did you know that we now have a merch store? It's true. In partnership with Bonfire, we've launched the Cells and Circuits shop where you can find t-shirts, hoodies, face masks, and more. So hit the link in the show notes to visit the Cells and Circuits shop and start getting your merch today. It really does help out the show. Thanks for your support, and now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Cells and Circuits podcast. And on this segment, we have a repeat guest, our first repeat guest. And if you listened to the previous episode, you probably know who it is. It is Avery Krause again from Stadia Source. Avery, welcome back to the show. 
Fantastic, uh, fantastic to be here again uh, with with amazing developments in the world of cloud gaming to talk about. <laughs> I know. Uh, last week was a pretty big week for cloud gaming. Um, so, like, we might as well just um, get right to it. So, last week, Amazon announced at their hardware event that they were going to be launching a cloud gaming service called Luna. And Luna functions pretty much just like Google Stadia, except there are some differences, and we'll talk about those later in the episode. Um, But it seems like they're using the same business model that Amazon uses for Prime Video, where you have a channel called Luna Plus, which gives you about 50 plus games per month. And then the Ubisoft channel will be coming later on, and that'll provide some more games um, for an additional monthly cost. So kind of like how Amazon does with their channels on Prime Video. You can you have the regular Prime Video subscription and then you have other channels that you can add on top like HBO, Showtime and, you know, other ones. So Broadway HD Exactly. <laughs> so um So, yeah, um, Amazon has officially announced their entry into the cloud gaming space. And uh, I just wanted to, you know, get your thoughts on um, on this development and what it means for cloud gaming, since we both are, you know, pretty experienced with cloud gaming um, particularly with Google Stadia. So, you know, I wanted to uh, hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, we this was this was an interesting development. We knew that something was coming because there have been rumors for a while for what uh, had been codenamed Project Tempo, and that yep. at some point Amazon was going to lift the veil on this. And it absolutely came out of nowhere last week uh, in the middle of them talking about their new Amazon Echoes, which are these adorable little balls now, <laughs> and their new uh, security system, which is a flying drone that will chase away your their burglars. Then just two minutes on, oh, by the way, we launched a cloud gaming platform and it's uh, six bucks a month and uh, here's the controller and you can stream on Twitch and you get a whole bunch of games and Ubisoft's coming later. All right, thanks everybody. Have a great day. And then... So it was just absolutely out of nowhere, and it was almost a throwaway at the very end of their presentation. I think it might have been the last thing or second to last thing in there. Uh, And then suddenly, there was a new player on the market. I have had a a saying that I've said very, very frequently, uh, that a rising tide lifts all boats. And Mm -hmm. so we now have, we are now meeting a moment where Google Stadia has a direct competitor. There's been, you know, xCloud and and now, you know, Game Pass Ultimate where it has the cloud streaming built in certainly competes Mm -hmm. with Stadia for some eyeballs, but really Xbox is competing with PlayStation um, and Switch and PC. There's been GeForce Now, but GeForce Now is really a 
a, a companion piece to Steam and right. GOG and all those other services. Um, it's, it's almost Epic Games. It's it's, yeah. it's practically no different than Steam Link or, or whatnot, um, other yeah. than that it's their computer, not yours. Uh, right. And then there's Shadow, which is a whole different bag of chips. That, that's just a remote desktop. And so right. there has not been to this point a competitor to Stadia that was literally we opened a cloud gaming service and had no no other connections to it, no other business models underneath it, just purely there are servers in a cloud which are going to stream a game to you, and that is all Luna is, and it's a, it's a completely novel competitor in the field to Stadia. So what that puts me in a position as a Stadia enthusiast and a, and a Stadia podcaster is now I'm looking to see what that competition does to push Stadia to make yeah. them want to or have to grow and build and uh, really make things explode because they have to, because it's time now there's a competitor and now they have to make things uh, accelerate or they're going to have a competitor that is going to outpace them. I'm, right. I'm beyond excited about this development. Same here. So um, with the, advent or with the announcement of amazon luna um and with uh microsoft x cloud um even though it is a companion piece to um you know the traditional xbox um i think this uh, the stage for cloud gaming is now set with the three titans of the cloud uh, Microsoft, Amazon, and Google now all having their own uh, cloud gaming services. Um, and so, and, and then also with uh, Microsoft and their recent Bethesda acquisition, now you have all of the uh, ZeniMax um, franchises that... Um, are guaranteed to stay on Game Pass because Game Pass um, is a library of rotating titles with the exception of the ones that Microsoft owns. And so now that Microsoft owns more stuff, that means more stuff has um, the ability to stay on Game Pass forever. As if there um, wasn't enough gaming news last week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that just Xbox buying Bethesda alone would have been enough had it right. and then and then Amazon was like, "Ah, hold, hold my beer," you know. <laughs> and so like I wanted to know um with Amazon um using Windows as their backend um on AWS and with Google using Linux as their backend on the Google Cloud platform. Um, how do you think that um, developers are going to um, approach um, putting games on Amazon Luna versus putting games on Stadia? I, I think we're, we're going to see... Uh, imagine you're playing a racing game. Mm -hmm. And you've got multiple cars to pick from and you've got, you know, these cars have, they all have their stats. So you've got top speed, acceleration, handling. Uh, and what I think we're seeing is that the business decisions that are being made here are Amazon went for a high acceleration build. 
They wanted to be able to get games out as quickly as utterly possible to build a system that attracted folks to put down the put down their credit card and get the recurring service. So Windows is a high acceleration platform. You are going to be able to put out more games quicker on Windows than anything else. Linux being a bit more of a haul, but not that much as we've seen a lot of developers say, their Google is going for a high speed build for their car. They want to have a completely open source framework with open source APIs and open source technology to be able to build upon to really get something crazy and powerful that no one else has ever done. So yeah, you're absolutely going to have a much, much larger library on Luna, much faster than any other platform. There's, there's no doubt about that aside from game pass, because they're running on Xbox uh, servers. And so right. if they're, if, <laughs> if it's out for Xbox, it could be on game pass in very few clicks. I would imagine. If you're just taking Luna versus Stadia, then Luna is absolutely going to have a huge library. They, they've announced in the vicinity of, of 100 games now, 50 from Luna, 50 from uh, Ubisoft, and I can very much see within the next year there being a Square Enix channel and an EA channel and a Capcom channel and all of these other channels that give you 40, 50, 60 games at a, at a pitch. Now, pricing being a whole other thing, which we can get into, but at least in terms of library, they're going to end up with probably several hundred games, much faster than Google is even going to break the 200 mark. We've just broken the 100 mark, and it's going to be faster than we're going to break the 200 mark. The difference being, Luna's going to get you Twitch streaming. Cool. Right. Twitch streaming is awesome. But there's nothing special about those servers. There's nothing different other than that you know it's on aws so they can ramp up their containers if they need to but they're not building any special architecture they're not building any special apis any special sdk so uh, that we know of that we know of so right. you're not going to get things like crowd play and crowd choice outside of the, t- the standard twitch integrations and stream connect and state share because those all being very special Stadia features that are because they built their own thing from the ground up, that is op- those are options and opportunities that Stadia is going to have that nobody else is going to have. Not to mention things like the elastic computing concept where you can chain multiple Stadia blades together to do crazy things. Google's right. machine learning for game generation and AI-driven you know, storytelling and all of those kind of things. They're going for a lower acceleration, higher top speed. So I think in five years, let's imagine both of these platforms are still available in five years. Then you're going to end up with a situation where Amazon has a platform that has five or 600 games on it. And Stadia has a platform that has three or 400 games on it. And they're going to, at that point, be better games with more powerful features and more rich options. There's nothing to say that these games that have been released on Windows are not fantastic. But if you look at Uplay Plus, um, I'm super excited. Uplay Plus is going to come to Stadia at some point. And when it does, it's because uh, Ubisoft has gone through and, and... converted, ported a bunch of games to the Stadia platform. But if you look, if you look at what's going to come to the Ubisoft channel on uh, Luna, Luna, it's probably going to be newer stuff. You're going to get your Rainbow Sixes and you're going to get your Tom Clancy's. You're going to get all that stuff. But you're probably also going to get some old, 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 old games for Windows that are compatible with controller and keyboard, even though they haven't actually announced whether or not it's a requirement yet. Right. And so you're going to get 
crap from the 90s that might be fun for 20 minutes, but it's because it was so easy for them to just click a button and install it on that server, not because right. it required any work. So I don't necessarily know that a larger library is more valuable than a better library. And when you combine that better library with better features, I think that's where Stadia is going to win in the end. That's not to say I'm not excited for Luna. I, I subbed to the early access. I'm waiting for me to get my invite code. And whenever it lands, I'm going to be out there streaming, just like I'm streaming Game Pass right now. I played it on my phone over the weekend. Uh, and yep. I want all of these things to succeed because they'll push each other to succeed. And ha you'll have to beat each other. And you're not going to beat each other on time you're going to beat each other on features and library in this space right and i think that's a excellent point that you bring up there um that uh stadia is going for quality rather than quantity because i remember someone from the stadia team saying that um they wanted a more curated um experience and um from the games that um, they've been adding um, recently, it seems like, you know, they're going after like a specific audience, people who are more into things like indie titles. Um, like you definitely see a lot of indie titles, though you're also seeing some AAA games as well. And I think they're doing the AAA games on a case by case basis. Um it seems like, but even though they already do have uh, developers, major developers confirmed um, that will be releasing games in um, in the near future. And so, uh, gosh, <laughs> um, so what does this also mean from or going into? the new console generation. Do you think that um, people would see um, uh, the cost of you know, like the new gen consoles, like the PS5 and the Xbox series of consoles being too expensive and just, you know what, I'm going to just get a Stadia or Luna controller and then just call it a day? Um, like, what do you think about that? I, I think this speaks to the, the difference in business model between the two platforms. Um, mm -hmm. a, a, and it, to a degree, I'm going to give them credit where credit is due. It speaks to the fact that Amazon clearly saw what the expectations that were not ever promised by Stadia, but somehow got created and then failed to be met, which is no fault of Stadia's work. Right. So everyone thought that Stadia was going to be the Netflix of games. It wasn't. Yeah. It was. It's a. It's a brand new console. It just doesn't happen to be a box under your TV. So Amazon says, "Well, hey, we'll just do the Netflix of games. Great." Everybody said, "Okay, well, Stadia is supposed to be. Uh, Stadia's going to have every game under the sun on it because it's the cloud, and you can just have a." And they said, "No, we're going to." get all the new games and then we're going to bring games onto the platform as our developer partners ready to be in. Amazon right. said, no, we'll just take any, yeah, let's just get all kinds of games. I'm sure they're doing a little bit of curation, but you know, they're just going to take a lot more games because they have the platform to do it on. Right. They have, I'll also give it to them on this. Stadia's rollout was brought with disaster. 
They simply did not understand the marketing that was needed for this. They hyped the power when the power isn't necessary for this to work properly. You don't need a thousand teraflops to run Celeste in the cloud. So they, up until maybe the past 90 days, Stadia just didn't really get how to market their own platform, and that's changing. But Amazon, right out of the gate, their first commercial, you know, their first video was person grabs their phone and they're playing a game, and then they pull up their TV and they're playing a game, and then they pause the game over here and they take it over there. And it's exactly the marketing that Stadia needed from moment one that they're just now getting to. They said, fine, Stadia, whether anybody wants to admit it or not, is in beta. Stadia is in beta, and the founders launch was maybe an alpha, but it was certainly a closed beta. And they've never said that. They've never said it out loud. The right. Project Stream was the beta. No, Project Stream was an alpha. This is the beta. Founders was closed. Right now we're in open beta, but Stadia is not done yet. They've given us a minimum viable product, an MVP, but yeah. they have not delivered the finished product because we don't have crowd play, crowd choice, true state share, Kratos integration notwithstanding. Um, We don't have family sharing. We don't have YouTube streaming. All of the things that were promised when Phil Harrison stood out in in the stage with all the logos flying behind him at GDC. So what did Amazon do? Early access. This is early access. Front and center. You're in early access and everything in the world says early access, early access, early access. So they clearly learned from all of the missteps that Stadia made in the beginning and decided to take that a different route. That said, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to do any better. That doesn't necessarily mean that this isn't going to be canceled in a year, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it won't be still going 10 years from now. It just means that they had an opportunity to be second. And there's an advantage to moving first, but there's a bigger advantage to moving second because you can find out exactly what the first person did wrong. I think that's where the models of the two systems differ so much that you almost can't compare them to each other. In a a very real sense, Luna is trying to compete for the same spot on your credit card that Netflix or Apple Music or Spotify or any of those services are. A, uh, yeah, it's just six bucks. And if I want to watch something, you know, I'm, I'm on my phone and, oh yeah, let me, hey, I'll pull up Hulu and I'll watch something. Or, oh, you know right. what? I didn't, uh, I didn't see that. I'll, uh, oh, hey, yeah, there's that Luna thing. Oh, I've still got the Luna thing. Yeah, do you have your, do you have your Bluetooth controller hooked up to the Fire Stick? Yeah, let me see if it's still paired. Cool, I'll go play 30 minutes of Watch Dogs Legion or whatever else. Whereas right. Stadia has always been, we're a console. We're just not under your TV. That's why you buy games. You don't. You don't subscribe. You know, there's the Stadia Pro, but there's not like a Netflix style thing because they're a console. They're just not under your TV. And so it's it's different mindsets with the same foundational concept underneath them. And that's right. where the next year is going to really come into sharp relief. Is does Stadia? pivot at all do they change their plans do they change their business model do they come out with stadia pro plus that has a uh, you know stream the library or do they keep going to say no no no, we're here to compete with xbox series x we're here to compete with playstation 5 we're here to compete with switch pro whenever that comes out or whatever they call it that's who we're competing with we're not competing right. with luna and that's going to really really determine what the next year of cloud gaming looks like and that might even be a year that could be two years, three years, four years before that really gets defined. We are so much 
in the infancy of all of this and that people just one of my biggest pet peeves in the world i have to say it over and over again stadia's only been out for 10 months and luna's only been out for three days like these are not platforms with three decades of life underneath them like nintendo and sony and playstation or Uh, xbox Yeah, my long-winded rant on the subject of their uh, <laughs> of uh, their business models. Oh, oh no, you're fine. And I think that uh, people definitely misunderstand. Or there's been a lot of game journalism. If you're listening on the audio version, you can't really, or you can't really see, but I put up air quotes um, for that. But there's been a lot of game journalism and a lot of YouTubers that you know or just been like well i didn't get the netflix of gaming from stadia and like that wasn't or google never said that was what it was going to be but amazon clearly wanted to fill that void and i think it was very um important that you mentioned um that amazon had the second movers advantage because yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, they put from the get-go, it's an early access, it's invite-only, um, and that, you know, you have to uh, request the code and everything. Um, and seeing all of that, um, I have to wonder, um, do you think that Amazon is really trying to, I should say, um, trying to be an innovator in the space? Or do you think that they're just, you know, trying to, um, or you think they're just trying to ride the wave that Google had kind of started? I think they're trying to sell more Fire TVs. Uh, that that's it. Uh, there, this everything Amazon does, and and uh, Google the exact same is to keep you inside their world. So Alexa is all about keeping you engaged with Amazon products. Why? Because okay, so you got Alexa, and then you're using that on your phone, and then you realize we're out of toilet paper. Well, hey, Alexa's tied to Amazon's shopping, so I can just ask Alexa to go buy it for me. Hey, great, that's super, super easy. Now I've just given Amazon more money. And then, oh, well, well I want to watch uh, YouTube on my TV. Oh, well, I'd like to tell Alexa to do it. Well, she didn't talk to the Chromecast, so let me get a Fire TV. Well, they're only like 30 bucks. Great, let me plug that in. And okay, great, now I have, hey, Alexa, can I watch whatever? I'm sure I'm triggering people right now if you're listening to this on speakers. Uh, and <laughs> And so you're, and so it's all about ecosystem, keeping you inside the ecosystem. And Google does right. the exact same thing. Yeah. Google wants you to buy the Chromecast, and they want you yep. to buy the Google Home or Nest Home or Nest Audio, uh, releasing on Wednesday, uh, to then say, hey, because I'm not going to say it out loud because I do have a speaker sitting right in front of me. I have a Nest Mini sitting right in front of me, uh, yep. which I use to turn down the thermostat on my Nest ther- thermostat, and which I use to cast music or to my other Nest speakers, which I yep. then use to cast Netflix to my Chromecast. So it's yep. all about keeping you inside their ecosystem. I don't think for a second Amazon wants to be a, game, a cloud gaming company. I don't believe they have any desire whatsoever to be a cloud gaming company. But they realized if they lose even 2% 
of the potential sales of fire sticks that they could have to people who got who buy a Chromecast Ultra because they want to give Stadia a try. That is millions to billions of dollars over over annualized over however many years. You kill the Fire TV revenue stream by two or three percent you're talking tens or hundreds of millions of dollars so if what that means is they then create this tool they've already got aws aws is number one in the in the ecosystem so they've already got aws out there it takes five seconds flat to spin up an ec2 container for windows i do it in my in my day job my company does it all the time uh it takes absolutely nothing then to reach out to all these companies and say hey you already sell your games uh through amazon.com you want to go ahead and just put them on this platform and we'll give you 50 cents off of every monthly subscription. Great. Fantastic. You know, Stadia is doing it too. You want to do it with us? Fantastic. You know how hard it is with Stadia? It's so easy with us. It's all windows. And they say, great. So then, you know, and then they recoup a little bit of the cost of that for the six bucks a month. That's a loss leader. They're absolutely losing money on six bucks a month. I guarantee it because they're not paying for, you're not paying the 60 bucks for the game of which right. goes to them. Yeah. Right. We don't know if that business model will change. So it is, it's simply about, figuring out ways to increase the number of sales and keep you inside the ecosystem without going somewhere else. And doesn't hurt that because they're directly integrated with Twitch, now more people who buy Luna will be able to stream on Twitch and they will be able to run those handy dandy ads at the beginning in the top and in the middle, which is ticked off all the Twitch streamers. Uh, because it's just one more way for them to circle the wagons in there. Oh, and hey, you want to check out the latest games on Luna? You're going to have to head to Amazon.com and scroll through the list. And while you're scrolling through that list, on the side, there's that little thing that says, hey, by the way, do you need to order more of the toothpaste you bought from us last week? Because you can put it in your cart right now. That's all it is. It's keeping you in the ecosystem. I don't believe for a second that there is a department of people at Amazon that said, you know it would be killer is if we become cloud gamers i i don't think that exists i think there's a branch now because somebody above them on the fire tv team said uh yeah we got to do this can you just start making phone calls and they said sure why not give me a new title senior vice president of cloud gaming great yeah (laughs) yeah um i think um it's very uh yeah amazon like whatever they do is very uh reactional um and you know we've seen that with um a lot of the um things that they've done especially i know um they try to create their own version of like all birds shoes um they do it with the amazon basics line um which you know i mean I'm not going to lie. Those prices are like way low, like, but, but man, and and I mean, um, and they own, you know, it's whole foods market. It's just yet another opportunity to put you in their system. They bought audible because it's a yet another opportunity for you to have a credit card on file with them. That makes it so easy for you to clear everything else. They own IMDB. Yeah. I don't know if you know that. Like it's, it's insane. The number of companies that they owned, we're talking, more than more than a hundred of these little companies that they bought. And it's all just to continue to increase the amount of time you spend in their world so that they can get just another $2 off you here and $2 off you there. Cause when you multiply that times 300 million people in the United States alone, that's a lot of money that you're suddenly giving them that you would not have been before. 
Right. And gaming is just yet another way uh, for that to be another option, uh, you know, that, 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 that they offer you. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And um, so let's uh, talk about something different. Let's talk about the controllers for Stadia and Luna. So Luna announced the... You mean, you mean the Nintendo Switch Pro controller that they announced? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's like... Yeah, no shame, I mean, no it shame. basically it basically looks like a Nintendo Switch uh, Pro controller, um, but with purple accents on the lights and stuff like that. Um, it's forty nine ninety nine in early access, but um, once the early access period stops, then it'll be sixty nine ninety nine matching the price of the Google Stadia controller. So, um, and I hear that um, the Luna controller has um, Bluetooth um, because it needs to connect to the Fire Stick. Um, yeah, BLE, so, uh, which is a big differentiator from the Stadia controller. It, it is. At least, um, people have done teardowns, and to my knowledge, nobody's found a Bluetooth radio in there. So uh, unless there's something hidden in there attached to another circuit that nobody's turned on, uh, it is it is it is Bluetooth ready, which means uh, it's going to be an HID controller and it's ready to go with the Fire Sticks. But more importantly, you're also going to be able to link your Xbox controller, your DualShock, uh, Switch Joy-Cons, Pro Controller, whatever you have, up to your Fire Stick and play on Luna. So you don't even necessarily have to buy their controller, which again is probably a loss leader for them. Uh, right. you, granted, it doesn't look like it's the most. Anyways, no shade, no shade. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that they're maybe maybe they're cutting even on it. Uh, and so even then, you are. They just again, you could just go. Well, I already have an Xbox, and I want to buy another. Oh, look, a Fire Stick, and I can play on the Luna thing. Cool. Yeah, I'll do that because I can throw the Fire Stick on my TV in the den and play and stream some games uh, that I can't play on my. Oh, and they're cross-play and a cross-save, so that'll work. And blah, 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 blah. and and that just works, and it just makes yet another opportunity for that stuff to 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 sell you one more gadget or try to keep you in the ecosystem. Right. Yeah, I um I completely. Or, like it's it's strange because like Amazon um, like it's something that we knew was coming for a while but like yeah we never really expected this to come like at you know an event that was just about um, was just about like the Echoes and the ring drones and yeah. So like that was something I didn't expect. But um, what I do expect to happen is that um, in the early access period, it's $6 a month. Um, I expect that price to increase once we get out of the early access and I wanted to know if you think it's going to, or that price is going to increase or decrease depending, or, well, yeah, increase or decrease um, after the early access period is over. 
I mean, it's definitely it's gonna go up, but but I there's there's another factor in all of this that that hasn't been hasn't we haven't brought up yet, and it's Amazon Prime. Amazon already has you, uh, most of us, for $129 US a year right. on Prime. So I would not doubt if there's some mechanism of, you know, Luna Plus uh, is, you know, X99 a month now, and then that price changes on March 1st. Oh, but if you subscribe to Prime, you can keep it at the lower cost as a benefit for Prime members. Hey, you're not subscribed to Prime? Click here to subscribe. I, I would be willing to bet that it does end up being a tie-in to Prime. The, the fact that there's no Prime tie-in to this yet that we know of, uh, whether that's you know free games on Twitch Prime via Luna or whatever else, there's going to have to be something. There's going to be some kind of connection there because it all circles yeah. back again to Prime. And Oh, I have Prime, which means I'm going to want to go out there and buy more stuff because then I get it in two days. And right. ecosystem, ecosystem, ecosystem. Yep. Um so I, I do think that um, because they give out freebies on Twitch Prime, um, I think there's probably going to be some opportunities where, you know, um, if they have a game on Luna, like it'll be or the only way you can get that um, perk is to get Luna, and so, like, if I were Amazon, like that would totally be what I would do. Um, and with, uh, I'm trying to think of, um, I'm trying to think of what else to say, <laughs> but, um, can, can I mention one other kind of general thought on this? Yeah. I, I said it at the very beginning that, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats and it, and you'll, you, I say it all the time on our podcast yep. because, now that Stadia has a real competitor, th there might be a change. Uh, we don't know. Stadia has always been very clear about the fact that they are playing a very long game. They, when you look at uh, interviews that they've done, and uh, you know, last year they did a video series with Google's uh, partners and, and or with the with the Stadia Games and Entertainment team and the Stadia Technology team. And they've always said over and over again, this is stuff that will take years. We've got right. a roadmap and plans for five years or more. So I think what we're what's going to be interesting to see is there's no way that there that people at Stadia didn't know this was coming. Leaks happen, corporate espionage happens. There's no way in the world that Stadia didn't know this was coming. Maybe they didn't know the timing. Maybe they didn't know some of the specifics, but. Right. It seems unlikely that your Google, the company best known for gathering information uh, for the world, and that you didn't know this was happening. Right. So the question then becomes, does this put up new street signs that change the flow of traffic for Stadia? Does this change their plans, or does Stadia continue to say... Guys, we're just gonna do what we're doing. We've got a grow. We there is a spreadsheet and there's a line, and that line is steady, and it's just gonna stay steady. And we'll see you in five years. Because the thing about the thing about both of these platforms, really, but the thing about Stadia is, uh, and Luna, 
you walk away, you didn't walk away from anything. If I if I never bought the Stadia controller that's literally sitting seven inches away from me right now, yep. I could still go to stadia.google.com and play on Stadia. If, if I don't buy the Luna controller, I'm actually probably going to be able to hook up my Stadia controller to my phone and use it to play Luna. I've been using my Stadia controller to play on Game Pass from Xbox. So there's... There's nothing to walk away from. So when it's it's always funny to me to see people, well, now there's Luna, Stadia's dead, and who would ever yeah. go Stadia? Stadia doesn't need us to, it doesn't matter. Because if in two years, Stadia Games and Entertainment releases a game that looks unbelievably amazing that leverages the power of the cloud to do incredible things that we've never seen in a video game before, at any point in time, you can go to stadia.google.com, put your $60 down, and start playing with your mouse and keyboard, or with your Xbox controller, or with your Luna controller, because the Luna controller is probably going to be HID, which means you can just hook it up to your whatever and start playing. So yeah. these companies are playing a very long game. And I, I would imagine Luna, to some extent, will be doing that too. But it's, it's one of these games where, bias or not, stay here or not, you want to walk away, walk away, go right ahead. Because two years from now, we're Google. We still have your account. StadiaGoogle.com will be there if you decide not to subscribe or you sell your controller to somebody or whatever else. Right. It's not going to matter. You can just come back. And Luna, interestingly enough, Luna might be that way, um, at least for right now. You have to have early access, but presumably there will be a day when Luna is just a channel that you add to your Fire TV. And right. so if you happen to have an Xbox controller or whatever else, you, you pair that with your Fire TV stick, and then you click, cool, accept terms and conditions, start Luna Plus, and that channel just pops up, and it'll be the exact same thing. You decide you don't want to pay for it next month, you hit cancel, and then six months from now, when that really killer game comes out that's not going to be on, or, or it's it's going to be in the Luna Plus subscription, and it's also going to be on Xbox, but you don't want to pay the 60 bucks for it on Xbox, so you'd rather right. just pay the nine ninety nine to re-up Luna Plus for the month and play that game for six days until you beat it and then cancel your show. That's all there for you in the future when you're ready to, to have it. I right. think that's why these companies are playing a completely different game. Uh, I've said it before as well. They're writing a totally different story. The The yep. story of you buy the $400 box that sits under your TV, and then you buy the discs or cartridges that go in it, and that lasts you for however many years. And then five years later, you buy another 400 docs under your TV and it, the marketing works this way and the community works this way. And it's, we're going to talk about backwards compatibility and we're going to talk about the increase in speed. And we're going to talk about that. That's, that's an old story. That's a, we're just seeing new chapters in the exact same book. Stadia yeah. and now Luna are writing a brand new story. And even between the two of them, those companies are writing it from very different angles and a very different perspective. It's going to be interesting to see where all this pans out. I, I could not be more excited for the next five years in gaming because at the end of that, we're going to have insane cloud-powered games from Stadia Games and Entertainment and we're going yeah. to, to see what weird twisty things Jade Raymond comes up with and where Aaron Hoffman John decides to let Skynet create a video game. We're going to see insane things happen there. And then we're going to see Luna going, 
hey, you know what? Uh, how about a racing game channel? You really like racing games? Four ninety nine a month, and we'll give you eighty different racing games. Or hey, you really like JRPGs? We got a JRPG channel. It's got thirty of the best games in it, and it's two ninety nine a month. Hit hit subscribe now. And that's going to be an, an interesting thing to happen in the in the market as well. And that's all where all this is headed. And in the meantime, not that they're not going to do just fine for themselves, but you're right. going to have Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo, Microsoft to a lesser degree, sitting back and going, you guys want to buy the next box? It's $600 and you can have it. And it's, it's, it's totally cloud. It's all cloud powered because y'all are doing cloud now more than anything else. And could you please buy our next, the next piece of plastic under your TV? That's where all this right. is heading. I wouldn't be surprised if there is an, a Series X2 and a PlayStation 6, but I also wouldn't be surprised if there is not a PlayStation 7 and there is not a Series X3 or whatever comes after it because it's 100% cloud at that point. Yeah, I don't really expect um, the or consoles to be much of a thing uh, for much longer, at least after this g upcoming generation. Um, though I do, um, though I do wonder what kinds of games would come um, from both Amazon and Google because we already see um, Amazon. Um, before any of this uh, Luna stuff had happened uh, years ago, in fact, they had bought out a couple of studios and um, and um, so um, they had released a couple of games as well that didn't really perform that well on PC, like Crucible and... Um, yeah, that one didn't, hasn't hasn't really done so well uh um, yeah and then new world coming out next year beta right now and folks are some people really like it some people aren't super happy with it so it'll be interesting to see what where amazon game studios lands right uh I, I, they i don't know maybe i just haven't followed them enough but i don't feel like i've heard of the same levels of crazy uh acquisitions and things of that nature, but it could very well be just end up the situation that they come out with insane, amazing things. And uh, they also use the power of the cloud to do crazy, insane, amazing things. And then we have two different studios who is, who, who are doing insane, amazing things using the cloud, which would be even better because then that's just going to push them to compete even harder uh, for exactly. those, those well-earned cloud dollars. Exactly. And I think that, um, they may not be creating games um, that leverage the cloud right now, or at least in Amazon's case. Um, Google has had that in their mind since day one, um, with especially, or like you said, Jade Raymond and uh, Shannon Studstill, who uh, previously, I think she was the one who previously worked at Sony, um, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, she was at Sony Santa Monica. Yeah, so she was one of the people behind God of War. Uh, so it will be very interesting to see what her studio comes up with um, for the cloud uh, generation. Um, because like now we have an entire generation of people, especially kids, 
who are growing up with cloud services. And you're seeing that, especially with the COVID-19 pandemic, where kids are getting Chromebooks um, from their school or they have to buy one now and they're and like a lot of Chromebooks are sold out. And so once you see, um, and so I think it's interesting to see um, those people grow up, you know, without um, even thinking about needing a console whatsoever. And so um, what do you think about um, just, um, or what do you think about um, how Amazon and Google are trying to reach that, um, or that generation of people who are, you know, are like the cloud first generation, if I. Yeah, we're certainly at a point where, there are there are expectations that come up with every generation that change how the gaming industry and the tech industry in general work. Ten years ago, the the advent or however many years ago it was, the advent of Xbox Live um, and X and and Gold and all that basically said you have to have an online service and it has to work and I have to be able to find my friends and play with my friends and message with my friends. And when Xbox Live rolled that out, it was, oh, you're you're going to handle all that? Well, what about the LAN parties? And what about the, no, we're just going to handle it and we're going to do the matchmaking and we're going to get you set up. You can add friends and then, and now every system has to have that. You have to have a friends list. You have to build a party chat. You have to be able to do all those things. It's just the expectation. Yeah. Uh, the prior to the Sony PlayStation 2, uh, 20 years ago or however long it was, there was you could not put your GameCube discs into a Nintendo 64. They just didn't work. You couldn't put your Dreamcast uh, discs into a Sega Genesis. It didn't work. And then Sony PlayStation 2 came around and said, no, you can keep playing the PlayStation 1. And now people get up in arms if backwards compatibility is not a thing. Even the current generations are getting in trouble for trying to move away from that and and evolving and limiting that. So I think we have now moved into a point now where you're exactly right. The the, the 15-year-olds who are buying the pizza and playing, you know, for 12 hours at a stretch on, on Saturdays are not going to be looking to the DVD rack to watch a movie. They're going to go to Netflix. They're not going to be pulling a CD off the shelf to listen to music. They're going to Spotify. And the same thing is going to happen with gaming. It very, at at this point, in a lot of cases, I would imagine, I look up the stats on this at some point, but when I, I owned a switch uh, recently and I, you know, I own a gaming PC that's, that's capable. And I don't go to a store and buy any games. I just download them off the eShop or I download them off of Steam or Epic or whatever else. And so the concept of going in and I, you know, 
I'm a 30s. I'm a kid of the 80s. I walked into many a Walmart and pulled the box off the shelf and opened the little flap and read what the features were and took that to the checkout counter and took it home. That's how I bought World of Warcraft from day one. You know, the little Burning Crusade double pack and Diablo 2. And, you know, that's what you did. And now that's kind of absurd. If you go to the game, the game rack, the PC gaming rack, at least of Walmart, it's like 600 solitaire uh, options because you're probably buying it from your aunt Sally, who is not going to go to the cloud and download the thing. She's going to want to put CD-ROM in her drive. And the right. exact same thing happening on the cloud. We're getting to a point where you're just, no, you just download the game. What do you mean? I got to go buy the game. I'm going to go to GameStop to look at cases and say, Oh, that looks fun. And then I'm going to go buy the game on my, you know, on my, phone that's why all the game stops half of the game stops now are, are funko pops because they need something else to make the money right uh, and that's where this is heading in gaming infrastructure there's there you just don't get a cd you just don't get a dvd and it's about to be the point where you just don't buy the disc you just download it from the from the from the shops and the next logical step on that is why do i even need to download it just give me the game if i have an internet connection that is capable enough to download that 148 gigabyte modern warfare why won't you just send me modern warfare over over the stream and right. that's where all this is heading um and so there's absolutely generations that will it's not going to be a choice for these companies they're just going yeah. to expect it that i have i'm not going to wait for you to patch why would i wait for you to patch this game just give me the game i'm not going to wait to download that oh it says it's 300 gigabytes i'm not downloading that that's going to take way too long i'll go right. to stadia and play it instead i'll go to luna and pay you know and, and play it instead i'll go to game pass ultimate and stream it on my phone instead that's where all of this is heading and and it can't get here fast enough for, for as far as i'm concerned <laughs> yeah i um i'm very excited for um this generation of uh cloud gaming and like i've said previously in this podcast when companies compete we win and like ed boone the creator of uh, mortal Kombat, um he's even you know paying attention to this cloud gaming oh, space major nelson um, has a stadia account major nelson has posted in the stadia subreddit before wait so <laughs> yes major nelson has posted in the stadia subreddit before on reddit uh in comments for things and is talking about his founder's account and he absolutely has a stadia account and there's no doubt in my mind if you go to the house of of uh phil harrison who's VP of, of Stadia uh, or the head of Stadia, he's got an Xbox, a PlayStation, a switch and a very competent PC. No yeah. doubt about it. If you, oh, yeah. if you go to, to Doug Bowser's house in Redmond, California, he's got a switch sitting on the TV and a PlayStation and an Xbox and a competent gaming PC because right. you just have to, you have to know what your competitors are doing. So there's no doubt in my mind that all of the people who are on in the, the upper echelons at Stadia and probably a lot of the lower echelon too are subscribed to Game Pass Ultimate because they want to see what their streaming is like because you have to know what your competition is doing. Right. Um, and and um, we mentioned um, previously that um, because of um, Amazon's uh, Windows backend and... Um, or they're going to have a lot of games. Um, do you see that, or do you see people, um, or do you see people um, who 
like notice the deficiencies in Stadia's library compared to uh, Luna's, um, you know, I guess trying to bug uh, the developers of those games to try and port them over to Stadia or to try and make at least like Linux ports of their games. Um, I, you know, I've read a lot of um, of articles about of that this, particularly when when the the news that Amazon was going to be uh, coming off of, of Windows system, uh, and and I've read from a lot of Linux developers that have basically said, calm it down. It's not hard to port things to Linux. Uh, we're a lot of us already know what Linux is, and game developers are familiar with Linux. It's not hard. Don't quit freaking out. And so I'm not worried. I'm not worried about that. What is different is if your studio is using, uh, if you're using Unreal Engine or using Unity, Stadia's got a plug-in. It's it, they've all said it is minimal effort to move on to Stadia. If you're not, if you are Bethesda using your own engines or you are EA using your own engines or whatever else, then you're going to have to put in the time to do all of the infrastructural stuff to, to make all the hooks land and to get Stadia um, to, to be able to, to port off of there real fast. But once you've done the infrastructure work, then, then you're good. You're at that point. It's just a matter of the games that are already in development, throw the hooks in, let Stadia happen. That's what we're seeing with watchdogs, legions and Valhalla and cyberpunk 2077 and all these other games. Yep. the next Madden and the next FIFA. Um, and then with other resources, okay, hey, these games are selling pretty well. You know what? Let's go ahead and bring a couple more things from the catalog out. So I, it's again, it's that acceleration versus top speed thing. I'm not worried about it. I, I don't see Stadia as, I don't see Stadia's library as as big of a challenge as everybody else thinks it is. Um, if only because I've got access to I think I have 60 games on Stadia between the pro stuff, the stuff I've bought and the, the things that I have review codes for as a, as a Stadia journalist. Um, right. <laughs> which I hate. It's not like I, I, I'm not Jake Tapper. I'm a dude <laughs> who has a podcast about Stadia, but I'm on press list. So I guess that makes me qualified. Um, and I, I still flip through trying to figure out what I want to play. Now that I've added Game Pass Ultimate into that, and now that I have a computer that's competent or running Steam, I spend more time trying to figure out what I want to play than actually playing anything. So the size of the library doesn't necessarily mean Man. anything. If there, if this is a 60-hour game you want to play, and you've got five hours a week in which you can play it, You've got 12 weeks ahead of you on that game while in the background Stadia is adding more games to their library. If that is a 10-hour game and you've got 10 hours to play it, then done. You're, you're knocking out your college a day. But, you know, Borderlands 3, I probably spent a month on. Uh, Elder Scro uh, uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I spent at least a month to a month and a half on. Final Fantasy 15, I spent a month and a half on. So it's not like having 400 more games on Stadia would change anything for me. I'm going to play the games I want. It's going to take me as long to play them as it's going to take me. And, you know, so I think Luna may end up suffering the same thing. If I can detour us for one second, 
there is a concept out there called decision paralysis. Um, and you you may have heard of the tale of Buridan's donkey. It's an example given in business school uh, uh, about decision paralysis. And it's, a, it's an ancient parable about if you take a donkey and you place it between two equally sized bales of hay with no differences between them, it will not be able to make a decision. It will starve to death and it will collapse over dead. Now, in reality, at a certain point, the donkey's just going to reach over and start eating one of the two bales. That's it's, you know, primate logic or, or donkey logic. But I have this I have this thing that happens to me on occasion, which I call going into donkey mode. And it's I'm scrolling through my game library and everything looks equally good. Nothing looks there's a few things that I'm like, nah to that. But there's like five, six, seven, eight games that I might want to play and I can never pick one. So I just turn on Netflix instead. Or, or I'm yeah. scrolling through Netflix trying to find something to watch, and I can't find anything I like, so I go to Hulu and I queue up the Golden Girls because it's my favorite show. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, you know, huge libraries are not nearly as important as people think they are. The only, the only time it's important is when the game you want to play isn't on that library. That's the only time it matters. And most of the time, at least for me, that game for me right now is Final Fantasy VII Remake. You know why I can't play it on Stadia? Because nobody can. It's only on PlayStation 4 as an exclusive. So it doesn't right. matter if that game right. is not in the library. When Watch Dogs Legion comes out, you know where it's going to be? Every single platform known to man. Cyberpunk 2077, every single platform. Valhalla, every single platform. Madden 21, every single platform. FIFA 21, yeah. every single platform. At a certain point, the library will be there, and then it's just a matter of, did the one game you wanted end up making it? That's why I'm almost more excited to see things uh, this past week, again, week full of news. This past yeah. week, one of the major announcements was the Stadium Makers program. We finally yeah. found out the freshman class of Stadium Makers. For those who don't know what that is, Stadium Makers is a program for Unity developers to get some Stadia, uh, some Stadia tech support, uh, a Stadia dev kit, a little bit of financial incentive at an undisclosed rate, and basically you get a hotline to the Stadia dev team if you promise that day and date you'll bring your game to Stadia. Doesn't have to be exclusive to Stadia if you want to do that. I'm sure they'll say yes, but they just want to make sure that if you're releasing on November 4th, that Stadia also gets it on November 4th. So we just found out about our freshman class of those games. And I'll tell you, yep. scrolling through those lists, games like Under the End, Death Carnival, there were games on that list that I have seen in every single indie showcase this summer. Every last one of them. Tokyo Game Show and, and all of them. Every, and New Game Expo. Every single one of them. And none of them ever had a Stadia logo on them. Not a single one. But... Hey, Stadium Makers program here, the first seven games. And, oh, yep, that one I saw the trailer for over and over again. That one I saw the trailer for. I've done I've done interviews with some of these developers, and they basically said, yeah, you know, we couldn't say anything about it. And uh, then we made the announcement, and, uh, hey, we're excited to become a Stadia. So, again, the library will be there, and all of these games are underway, and there are contracts on desks in filing cabinets right now that we will never know about to bring the biggest games in the world to stadia and the smallest games in the world to stadia and luna and all these other things and we're just gotta get there we got a little more patient just gotta get there yeah i completely agree with that and i think that is going to uh conclude this section thank you once again avery um for joining the show really appreciate it and um in case um 
in case any of our listeners are new here and didn't listen to the previous episode, where Number can they one, find Go you? back and listen to the previous episode where I talk about <laughs> Stadia. Uh, but note the Twitter handle and thank you. I heard that you, uh, I heard the update that you did in the, in the recording of the podcast. Um, if you want to find me online, you can follow me on Twitter at charm city, a C H A R M C I T Y a charm city. A I recently changed my uh, Twitter handle, uh, to more match my stadia profile. If you want to friend me on stadia, I'm at, uh, I'm at charm city there. Uh, you can follow, I, I am the video content manager and the host of stadia sources Roundtable podcast. So stadia Sources is the number one source for stadia news and reviews. We are the industry leader site uh, for Stadia news, uh, reviews, opinion pieces, editorials, all that great stuff for Stadia. Uh, and so you can follow us on Twitter at Stadia Source. You can also find us on YouTube uh, on Stadia Source channel. Uh, and keep an eye out. Every Thursday we record our roundtable podcast live at 5 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. British, because uh, half of our uh, half of our roundtable is our Brits. Uh, on Thursday evenings, and we certainly encourage anybody to to check those out or download us on Pocket Cast, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever it is that you get your fine podcasts. Thank you, Avery. And of course, just like last time, I'll have the links in the show notes right below that subscribe or follow button, depending on which platform you're listening on. And yeah, that's going to do it. Thank you once again, Avery, and we'll see you in the next one. Glad to be here. Sandra Bland, Terrence Crutcher, Trayvon Martin, Philando Castile, Mike Brown, Alton Sterling, Ahmad Arbery, Walter Scott, Brianna Taylor, Eric Harris, George Floyd, Tony Robinson, Keith Childress, Romaine Brisbane, Betty Jones, Tamir Rice, Kevin Matthews, Laquan McDonald, Michael Noel. Michael Brown Jr., Roy Nelson, Eric Garner. These are just some of the names of people who have been murdered by police and have gotten either a slap on the wrist or have gotten away with committing such a heinous crime scot-free. If you are an American, or even if you're not an American, you should be outraged by this, as I am. This cannot continue to happen, and it speaks to a very long history of racism and police brutality here in the United States of America, and also in other countries as well. Police brutality is not a U.S. exclusive problem. It's happening around the globe. So, how can you help stop this? Well, you can go and protest, but be very peaceful about it, of course. And if you don't want to go to the protests, that's fine. You can also donate 
to many different charities that are helping with the cause. If you can't do that, you can also sign petitions to help the cause as well and share those petitions. And for all of these suggestions that I've made, you can do all of them and encourage your friends and family to do the same because staying silent is staying complicit and we cannot stay complicit any longer. This change needs to happen now. And so I just want to leave you with this message. Black lives matter always and forever. All lives cannot matter until black lives matter. Remember that. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cells and Circuits podcast. Remember to wear a mask, wash your hands, and practice social distancing as much as possible. Also, if you want to follow us on social media, I'll have a link in the show notes right below that subscribe or follow button, depending on which platform you're on. And that's it. Our intro and outro music is made by Tiffy3. I'm Chibeze Anakor, signing off.